2: Bring in
3: show music, please.
0: This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box.
3: NYC, this is
4: CNBC Control 2.
0: CNBC's essential morning show. C R Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics.
4: All right, we're coming to it next.
0: Today on Squawk Pod, it's earnings season, Apple makes history, and our supervising producer Rob Contino makes the podcast to tell us all about it.
2: It's almost like it's almost a Super Bowl.
0: And speaking of fourth quarter financials, Boeing reported a disappointing quarter today, but the company's CEO is confident about the timeline and the branding for the 737 MAX aircraft.
5: Well, I'm not going to market my way out of this. We believe this airplane is safer than the safest airplane flying today.
0: Those stories, plus the congressman behind President Trump's first round of tax cuts, makes the case for lowering corporate tax rates.
1: Our global competitors are really aggressive here. I think the country that wins the innovation race, frankly, wins the future.
0: I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. It's Wednesday, January 29th. Squawk Pod begins right now.
3: Stand Becky by in three, two, one. cue, please.
6: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin.
4: L Brand CEO Lex Wexner is reportedly now in talks to step down from that position, He'll also said to be exploring strategic alternatives for Victoria's Secret's brand. That's a euphemism for... Well, maybe putting the company up for sale effectively. The Wall Street Journal saying the talks are ongoing. 82-year-old Wexner is the longest serving CEO of an S&P 500 company He built Abercrombie & Fitch, the limited and Victoria's Secret, into a national chain. But last year, Wexner drew attention, uh, of course, for his association with disgraced financier Jeff Epstein. Uh, Epstein, of course, managed the Wexner's wealth for two decades um, Wexner cool. had owned the home that was on Fifth Avenue. That was effectively given to Epstein. There were all sorts of questions I mean, that about was, that, that transaction. That was the nexus. So many other transactions. That, that re,
7: he w- really was the nexus for about
4: for, for Epstein's all of his contacts. All of it. Uh, he says, he of course, him, he
6: gave him the money to ran, run first. Oh, right. and that's kind of where he got. And, and a
7: lot of connections.
4: Wexner. He says that he was hoodwinked uh, by Epstein. Obviously, uh, there's outstanding questions uh, about that. Uh, on particular, in particular, on this Victoria's Secret piece, though. There's there's a couple of things going on. The Epstein the I think the Epstein piece is a cloud that overhangs all of this, but really there's the larger issue of just the changing um, yep. shift in retail, changing shift in
6: well, cultural...
4: cultural uh, the sort of the, no the more culture in America show. They canceled the fashion and, show that they,
6: started, they created back in the 1990s to kind of go up against
4: yep.
6: uh, Lee Brands and all of the other big bra companies. The, fa- that were the famous show we fare. ran on
4: CBS for so many years.
6: Right, and that was something that I think in this environment has died down. But look, it's, this is also an indictment of Les Wexner's strategy of really doubling down on the stores in the malls sure. and right. getting rid of sure. some of the catalog sales and th- some of the other things yep. that they been doing. His, he said, I think, in an interview with the Journal, maybe two years ago, said that, look, he has history on his side. You can go back 5,000 years and watch people going to these bazaars and going to these shops all the way back to Roman times. But really, what, the change we've seen in the retail environment has been drastic. It's the stores that are in the malls that have had the most trouble trying to lure in traffic.
7: Yeah, he's not that old. I just looked up He's 82. Like Googled, he's 82. People also search for Prince Andrew and oh. Ghislaine Maxwell. Yes. Or however you say her name, but, you know, yep. if you search for someone and those are the two names that come, come poor, up, per, yeah, I mean, Prince Andrew, that would not have been the case, but it is now.
4: Talking about the coronavirus, want to bring you an update on where things stand right now. The death toll climbing once again overnight. China now saying that 132 people have died from the virus. The number of confirmed cases in mainland China are up 25 percent to over 6,000 companies taking additional precautions in response to the growing threat. Here's what's happening. Starbucks announcing it will close half of its stores in China to help stem the spread. That's half of its stores. Toyota says it's halting production in China until early February. British Airways now suspending all flights to China over virus concerns, and AB InBev saying it's temporarily suspending production at its brewery in Wuhan. Tencent is extending the lunar holiday break for its employees now until February 9th. So all this getting pushed out, you're seeing... Seeing it, you're feeling it. Overnight, a chartered plane carrying more than 200 Americans from Wuhan, China, the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak, landed in Anchorage, Alaska, shortly after 9.20 p.m. That was local time to refuel, though. All passengers deplaned and have been screened for the virus. This comes as airports around the U.S. are trying to step up. Their checks. If it's a fourteen-day incubation period, and it takes two days or whatever to test the blood, whether you
7: have it, as people come in, well, what, do you do, what do you say? How you feeling? The three of us wouldn't get through, probably.
6: No. If you have any, if you have any fever, right if you have anything else that's going there, but not knowing any of these issues does complicate that. It's a big week for
0: corporate earnings. That is to say, this week, companies report their financials for the previous quarter. Many of those companies report during our live TV broadcast, which means the anchors and the producers are juggling a lot. I asked one of the people overseeing it all, my boss, or one of them at least, Rob Contino, about all of our coverage.
2: I'm a supervising producer of Squawk Box. I've been with uh, CMC, the company, for about 25 plus years now. And I make sure, you know, the train keeps moving, rolling along for Squawk Box. You know, make sure everything, if anything, happens later in the day that it gets translated and moved along to uh, the morning. So we make sure the show is uh, all prepared. We treat it like an event um, some of these earnings days, especially when we had a day with... um, You had a day with Boeing, you had a day with uh, McDonald's and General Electric, and also you're reacting to Apple. So some of the biggest names on the planet reporting their results, and investors want to know um, what they should do with their money. So to put that together, we make sure we're prepared and lined up with the right voices to react. Um, on a moment's notice, because we want to get it out as fast as possible.
0: So, one of the companies you just mentioned, Apple, that was a big part of Squatbox programming this morning, and it's going to be part of CNBC's coverage for the rest of the day. Walk us through the editorial decision making there.
2: Well, with a name like Apple, and it's you know trillion plus market cap, and uh, the activity that we see you know online on Apple Stories and how much pickup they get, we treat Apple. Uh, you know, like it's almost like it's almost a Super Bowl of, uh, you know, I know <laughs> the Super Bowl is right on the corner, but Apple's report is so important to the market because it's part of the Dow, part of the S&P 500 and Nasdaq. And it, it just pushes everything one way or the other. Um, good news from Apple is usually good news for the rest of the market. And everybody seems, you know, large majority of people have Apple products. So it does um, resonate with uh, people that are outside of uh, Wall Street and, and uh, traders. And if you own a 401k, most likely something, one of the funds in there owns Apple or has Apple as part of their uh, holdings. So every little detail that comes out of Apple uh, gets magnified. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we kind of try to roll with all those punches. We try to keep a team together, especially on earnings day, to make sure we, nothing falls through the cracks. A company
7: achieving one of the biggest quarterly profits for any public company in history. That profit uh, was up 11%. This is profit, $22.2 billion for the quarter. Apple gave it an upbeat view of the current quarter, but said the coronavirus means that there's less visibility in Apple's outlook. Uh, wearables business surged 37% uh, in the quarter. I'm headed to an Apple store today to get some new uh, AirPods. Yeah, for my, my son. Look out. I don't know what he did. Virus there. Man
6: is coming. He's hard
7: on everything. But anyway, got it. Yeah, Virus Man's <laughs> coming to the Short Hills Mall. Good. Clear out. I'd like a, a clear path because there never is one at the Apple store there. Anyway, that uh, segment includes AirPods and watches. Someone tweeted me about silicone. Um, Covers
4: that they Make just sure
7: purchased for these. Yeah, things but if you get the new AirPods. Really well,
4: it, I should get some have for the seal. myself. You should, because they have the seal. It's better for, for people like you who think that they're dropping out of your ears. They are dropping
7: out of I, I reverse them, and the that's new, the only thing. And, I, the and, they, and it makes it look. I saw myself. I, someone took a picture, and I had them in, and it makes me look even more ridiculous <laughs> than when they're in normally. They're like <laughs> get the new ones. When I'm anywhere in the world, and I see someone on an iPhone, and they're wearing AirPods. It becomes clear to me everyone in the world has an iPhone and everyone in the world has an AirPod and someone sold it to them and there that's how you do ninety billion dollars in a quarter.
6: Yeah, Brian. In sales. Uh, Brian Sullivan put out a very interesting statistic yep. last night. He said that, that the, the revenue for the wearables is now twenty-five billion, which is the same as Starbucks revenue, and that's what they've right. done in the last five years with wearables. There's
4: no flying car with Apple TV yet. <laughs> All it is are iPhones. I thought though that it was that. Well, remember, people didn't give them enough credit for the watch. They didn't right. give enough credit for the headphones. What's wrong with your voice? They didn't give enough credit for any right. of these things. What's wrong, What's wrong, with, wrong with your nose? What's wrong with my nose? What's wrong <laughs> with clean No. no I've got my hot water. No arguing today. We're having I can't. Hey, this
6: it's is whatever. perfect.
4: It's a squat. Whatever you, <throat>
7: anything you say, <throat> right. I'm just going to say if Andrew's a, right.
6: If that's the case, we want to make sure you guys are sick forever from
7: now on. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I feel like I might be. Okay. Uh, anyway, ap- Apple, Apple. Um, it, you know, and not only that, it's going to be over one point four trillion yep. today. It's going to go from one trillion to. Well, I mean, I'm not making a forecast, but we waited for a trillion for so long, and it's just like oh. cheese will
2: be next.
0: Coming up on Squawk Pod, the other big fourth quarter financial story today. Boeing.
2: Almost like Apple, we treated Boeing like an event today.
0: We hear from the CEO of Boeing on the results and the 737
2: MAX. As Cahoon said, they have their timetable, but they know it's really up to the regulators.
5: It requires a lot of discourse, a lot of back and forth with the FAA and the certification process, but we think we've been realistic about that.
0: We'll be right back.
5: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
0: This is Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick.
6: Boeing reported fourth quarter results just a short time ago. The aerospace giant lost $2.33 a share in the quarter, and it posted its first annual loss in more than two decades. The cost of the 737 MAX grounding is now closing in on $19 billion. And the stock, of course, has been pretty volatile since those results came out, immediately dropping but then rebounding. Let's get to our very own Phil Obeau. He is standing by in Chicago with Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun. Phil.
3: Thank you, Becky. Dave, I'm glad we could join you uh, just minutes after you guys report uh, Q4 numbers. We're not going to hash over all the numbers, but I do want to ask you about the 737 MAX charges. Uh, you're taking a number of them and uh, future costs being counted in. The total is now $18.6 billion. Are you pretty confident that's the last of the big charges, or are you being a little conservative here?
5: Um, I'm as confident as a CEO can be, um... Let's not talk about the specific buckets of the charges. The most important thing underlying it is do we believe we can meet the certification timeline that under, underlies all of that? <clears throat> and the answer is yes. Um, as, we, as we looked at that schedule, and as I listened to the FAA and all the constituencies who have an interest in all of this, including the training dimension associated with it, we put together a schedule we think we can make. Um, not easily. It requires a lot of execution. It requires a lot of discourse, a lot of back and forth with the FAA and the certification process. But we think we've been realistic about that as we laid out this timetable. And we can't do anything more than that.
3: You know, already, and I'm sure you've heard this, some people are saying, look, they're saying mid-year. We're already hearing some fairly encouraging comments from the head of the FAA, as well as those who are involved in the process. And some people are already saying, look, I think he's the new CEO. He's sandbagging. He's throwing out a date later this year, and we can see the max back in service sooner than that. Do you, what do you think yeah, when no. you hear that?
5: No, of course not. Uh- you can't sand, sandbag in a situation like this. I have to answer to our employees. I have to listen to our employees. I simply have to give them the time they need to do the natural discourse that occurs in a big, complex certification process. And that's what we've provided for. Nothing more, nothing less. So I believe we can do it. And then the only other comment I have to make, and I will always make, I do not and will not control this timeline. So mid-year is what we believe we can do. I am, I'm. am. Uh, I appreciate the comments that, 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 that came from Steve. Um, on the other hand, if he changes those comments in a month, we change our schedule. Simple as that. Uh,
3: Steve Dixon is who you're talking yes. about, the head of the FAA. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. Uh, but the one question that has come up over the last three weeks, you've heard the suggestion from people that, look, they're not going to get the max back. Just scrap it all together. And the quest, the fundamentals of this program have been questioned. I know from our conversations, That bothers you, because you believe in this airplane. Why do you believe? Why should people have confidence in the MAX? If
5: we didn't believe that we were going to field an airplane that was safer than the safest demonstrated airplane that's out there today, we wouldn't do it. That's what the FAA wants. That's what Boeing wants. It is a fundamentally sound airplane. The uh, scrutiny it is getting now, um, the tests are exhaustive, Uh, the documentation is clear, the training recommendations are as as robust as they could possibly be. Um, if I didn't believe in all of that process, if our people on the ground didn't believe it, I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you today with a schedule that like we've laid out.
3: Steve Advarhazi, a longtime veteran of this industry, chairman of Air Lease Corp, who has said, "Look, you know, I'm not sure that this plane should remain." the 737 MAX. The name should be dropped completely. You've called that idea silly. Why?
5: Well, I'm not going to market my way out of this, right? So you know, I love Steve. I was with him a couple of days ago. Um, and he's right in the sense that uh, the MAX has, a, has something attached to it today. Um, but again, we believe this airplane is safer than the safest airplane flying today. Every next airplane has to be that way. It has to be that way for Boeing. It has to be that way for our competitors. Um, so, uh, what we call it, trying to relabel it, trying to merchandise that, no. Uh, this plane will recover with a flying public when airplane pilots step on it, fly it, like it. And by the way, based on all the test flights we've had to date, which are, which are many, mm-hmm. they do. So as, as all those pilots return, so will passengers.
3: Joe, you've got a question here for Dave? Uh,
7: I do. Um, so, Dave, there, recently there was another software uh, glitch that was spotted, and, and there seemed to be two schools of thought uh, on more pilot uh, involvement or, or more automated uh, systems for, uh, for commercial airliners. And I think the president weighed in, you know, nobody flies anymore. Um, it, Boeing seemed to, to even double down on going to more automated systems. Is, is that still the current thinking, that, that you want to move further and further away from the pilot having – as uh, much influence on, on the flight of the plane?
5: Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a very mm-hmm. complex subject, and it's a very important one. And I would suggest, with respect to every next new airplane, post the, the recertification of this airplane, that decision and the guidance and the, regula- and the regulations that come out of the FAA are going to have to answer that question. It is, it's sort of clear to me that more automation will be required as we move forward um, to prevent prevent, uh, situations like this that occurred, Um, but I'm not completely sold on that. There is a big school that believes more flying time, more experience um, is in the best interest of the flying public. So uh, I'm not going to try, I'm not going to answer that question too decisively. I think I know which direction it's going, but we're going to have to work very closely with the global regulators to to answer it before the next airplane is developed.
6: Hey, Dave, I'm not sure I understood the answer. I realize you can't answer all of it right now, but it sounded to me like you were leaning towards more automation because of what happened in this situation. But I'd argue the automation is what caused this to begin with. It could have been pilot problems on top of that, but it was the, the, the MCAS system that, that started the whole thing.
5: Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not sure I agree with that conclusion, Becky, um, and I don't want to answer the big question about how much pilots should fly or not on the basis of the MCAS experience in those instances. In those instances, we wish MCAS was different, and it didn't add to the complexity to that boundary condition that caused the problem. So we wish that hadn't happened, and the, and the changes that we've made to the flight control system now and being certified today would, would not have created that instance. So I don't want to infer that it was automation that caused those instances. I, uh, I, uh, I think in those cases, we, we didn't get it right in a boundary condition that some inexperienced pilots had to deal with. That's a Boeing problem and a very specific and discrete problem.
4: Hey, Dave. Uh, to the extent that investors and analysts are going to be watching you today, looking through these numbers, listening to this interview, and saying, effectively, do I trust this guy? Do I, do I trust the numbers he's putting out? Not that the numbers are inaccurate, but the confidence that he has or doesn't have uh, in when things are going to happen or not going to happen. My question to you is, what things changed for you? What were the lessons uh, since, frankly, we saw you uh, on our air back in November Uh, and you had confidence in your predecessor uh, and in the expectations of when this plane was gonna get back in the air?
5: Andrew, listen, it's a great question. It's a question that hits me head on every time I'm with any audience, internal or external. Um, You, uh, the media, my uh, customers, our employees, they'll judge me every step of the way here. I'm not gonna predict it's gonna be perfect. but what I will do is I will, I will put realism into every one of our assessments every step of the way, and I will listen to everybody that's involved directly in the process. And as I listen and I help them resolve the anxieties they may have at any point in time during that process, everybody will gain confidence. I believe that. And we do need confidence as we launch this airplane. Um, but the underlying engineering of the airplane, the demonstrated performance outside that one moment where boundary conditions were not provided for. um, I believe in this airplane. I believe in the engineering of it. I believe in all the fundamentals um, and we can get this exactly right. And as I said before, if we didn't believe or if anybody in this process didn't believe we were gonna field an airplane that's safer than any airplane in the sky, we wouldn't do it.
7: Dave, how would you characterize the, the current relationships with, with your customers and the major carriers? Is it cordial? Is it, uh, are, are they asking for more information? Or do, you, do, you, do you speak to them a lot? Do you dread speaking? To them? I mean, where does it stand right now with, with, with how that's going with all the your biggest customers?
5: Well, listen, I, I do know them. Um, and I've known them for quite some time. And I would never describe our discussions today as cordial. Um, They are very direct, um, but they are incredibly supportive of the Boeing company and the products that we field. So they just want us to get back on track. They simply want us to get back where production is stable, predictable. They get their airplanes exactly when they need them. I think we have handled that discussion as well as it could be handled, maybe with not quite as much transparency. And I think getting back to Andrew's question, um, I think transparency of the lessons I've learned over the last year, um, uh, that is where Boeing fell short. And uh, we will not f- fall short on that subject under my leadership. Um, it will be uncomfortable, but we will be transparent on every subject, whether it's training, whether it's a certification process, um, everything along the way. Um, leadership, culture, all those things are fair game. I get it, um, but you'll know what I know.
3: Dave, let me ask you about culture. Because when you saw those emails, and you've known about the emails, but when you released them, I think the public looked at this and they said, look, you've got some employees who are calling the Max a plane designed by clowns, supervised by monkeys. I wouldn't fly on it. A, what was your reaction the first time you saw those
5: messages? Stomach turned, just like yours would, just like anybody's would. Um, So I I don't want this to get confused. So I believe that that kind of uh, language and the IMs that were disclosed, um, and I wish they'd been disclosed inside the company a long time ago, not while we're in the midst of recovery three years later. Um, That language is horrible. Um, It existed. Uh, Trying to indict the rest of the Boeing culture on the basis of those few, um, I won't go that far. But... Somehow, some way, leadership allowed that to happen. That's unacceptable, and it can't and it can't be it can't be allowed to happen in the future. And anybody who sees it has to be willing to raise their hand, talk to the leadership of the company, and then we have to be decisive about it.
3: One last question here, Dave: uh, the China, the coronavirus, as it continues to spread here. Are you concerned at all about a long-term impact in terms of, A, travel to China, which is the world's largest market, and, B, as they look into the future about ordering more aircraft? You haven't had an order from China since 2017. Does this have any lasting impact?
5: Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, first, I, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for what's going on. Um, I will say the experience with SARS um, in, in, in a much earlier time frame and the protocols that were established... I believe, will contain this at a much faster rate than it would have otherwise contained it without that experience. And I believe all those protocols will get perfected as we deal with this. So everybody's doing everything they can to support those protocols, um, to limit uh, ultimately the number of people affected. um, But I don't believe it will have a long-term effect.
3: Dave Calhoun, President and CEO of Boeing. Joining us first on yep. CNBC, uh, just moments after the company releases Q4 earnings, a loss of 233, but it's the charges and the cost of the max that's going to get a lot of attention
4: today. Guys, back to you. Okay. Dave Calhoun, thank you for that. And Phil Lebeau, thank you for bringing us that interview.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, Congressman Kevin Brady, ranking member of the Ways and Means Committee on gridlock in Congress.
1: Kind of tough to plan for the future if you don't, can't even start with a, a yearly budget.
8: Start planning today at aarp.org/moneytools.
0: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success, from before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod.
7: And welcome back uh, to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. I'm Joe kernel along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin, our guest host uh, for the rest of the hour. Rick Reader, Chief Investment Officer of Global Fixed Income uh, at BlackRock, when he makes a move, it, it, it's, it at least starts with a B. I mean, <laughs> um, U.S. budget deficit is expected uh, to break through the one trillion dollar barrier uh, this year, according to c- the Congressional Budget Office. That's the first time that's happened since 2012. Join so us now to talk about deficits. Uh, taxes, today's USMCA signing, and more. Congressman Kevin Brady, ranking member of the Ways and Means Committee, the author of the president's first round of tax cuts. We hear there might be a, um, a 2.0 round of tax cuts. Uh, Congressman, anything um, that would maybe raise revenue if we continue to, to cut taxes? Uh, if we assume that trillion-dollar deficits are,
1: are going to be something we need to deal with? Yeah. So, so we do. So. The Congressional Budget, Congressional Budget Office, excuse me, uh, was pretty clear uh, yesterday that the tax cuts and stronger economic growth has re- is reducing the deficit by over $700 billion over the next decade. And they make it clear, too, if the individual cuts aren't made permanent, growth will slow and deficits will increase. So, when I think job number one is to make those cuts permanent for families and small businesses. Secondly, we, we believe there's more growth to be had. In the economy. uh, Obviously, we're looking at making, we're pushing hard to make those tax cuts permanent. Secondly, uh, President Trump's all about working families, and so he wants to see another uh, tax cut focused on middle class families. We also, uh, as Republicans, we are developing a growth agenda for the 2020 election in contrast to the Democrats' taxing agenda. And part of that, Uh, We'll be making sure America is the most innovation-friendly country in the planet. Our global competitors are really aggressive here. Six countries have already lowered their corporate rates since we did. They have very aggressive innovation tax policies. I think the country that wins the innovation race, frankly, wins the future uh, on the globe. And so that means jobs, more opportunities for families, and, yeah, more revenue for the federal government.
7: There are some other projections recently going out five ten years that were just mind-boggling uh, caused by one thing and that's entitlements in, in medicare and, and social security but numbers that that were much bigger than the number that we're talking about right now uh... congressman yeah. and, and doesn't seem to be the most difficult thing maybe to address if you get the president to uh, to acknowledge it needs to be addressed but he he's still doubling down on i'll never touch medicare um,
1: so what, what, what do you need to do? So you're right, even with record revenues coming into Washington these days, you know, a lot of our automatic spending is is driving the deficits and we'll increase them in the future. And you know, I don't think we uh, resolve those unless both parties are willing to come together, make some tough decisions. We've gotta, look, we're a decade away from real trouble with Social Security, is already uh heading to trouble at the hospital trust fund you know we're going to have to address this and you're going to need republicans democrats and the president on board to do that i know the president's looking at so how do we come together uh, on these deficits uh in his second term i think that's the right approach we have to tackle it and we have to tackle it together
2: representative brady it's uh it's rick reader we, uh, you know, one of the things that's been a, a foundation of the Republican Party is fiscal conservatism and yep. prudence around you. Look at the deficit number. While well, I completely agree with you, we can grow revenues, and, uh, and as a country, there are serious initiatives to do that. But you're also talking about significant deficits, and then we're going to talk about an infrastructure plan, no matter who is elected going forward, of potentially significant size. How do you think about when you build the debt, you go through cyclical periods in an economy in times where it's stressful to have that much of a, of a yeah. burden in the economy. How do you think about that?
1: Yeah, so I think, look, the, we have a real opportunity right now. Uh, interest rates are low. Uh, we're paying on our debt, but it's nowhere near uh, what that would be each year uh, when uh, the interest rates return uh, to normal. And so we have a window here, uh, Rick, where we need to tackle this issue, these issues and we need to tackle them now. We have an aging population that's driving so much of our health care, our Medicare, our Medicaid. There are solutions to it. I think um, a number of commissions have laid out for Congress how you take a balanced approach. And at the end of the day, it, it will take. But I know Republicans are willing to go to the table right now to sit down with their Democrat friends to tackle this. We know it won't be easy, but we can't put this off.
6: Would you be willing to to go to the table and sit down with Democrats and offer to cut defense spending in order to get them to agree to cut uh, some of the spending that takes place here domestically?
1: Well, I tell you, um, you know, you can make the whole day to day operation of government disappear and you're going to end up running even you're going to run up deficits in the future because two thirds of our budget is on that automatic spending on Medicare, Medicaid, Social, all of those. And so for us, you know, you. In Congress, we've got to have an adult conversation about how we save those programs, how we do it the right way, um, and it's going to be tough, but but we can do it. There are solutions. Uh, Congressman, thanks for uh, for coming on Squawk Box this morning, as, as you
7: do uh, frequently, and we appreciate yeah.
1: it. Love being on. Thank okay. you. Thanks.
0: That's the show for today. Thanks for listening.
2: I'm a dad. I'm a husband, husband and dad. I've been a CNBC lifer, and I love working here every day. You know, I love the uh, podcast. I think you know, uh, I, I hear about the podcast every morning. I said, I want to be part of the podcast. I said, how could I be part of the podcast?
0: Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Clear.
3: Thanks, guys. Thank you so much.
8: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.